0: Eddie Sharp did not get younger and better looking. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Eddie and Ned are out of town. And uh, since he is, I get to to say a little something about him then. Uh, Don't let him know. uh, But there is no one better to learn ministry from uh, than Eddie Sharp. And to be able to, to learn under him has been one of the biggest blessings because he, he's an encourager. I mean, y'all know this, but he's one of those uh, guys that will come up to you. He's this energetic um, pinball, and he just finds people, and he stops, and he does that kind of George W. Bush face where he lifts the eyebrows up a little bit, and he just, he'll just he say something to you again. And he'll speak truth again and again and again and again. Uh, and I'm not like that. Uh, I'm one of those people that when I say something, then I've said it, and you should know it. Uh, so it's kind of like um, a Tell you, wow, I I really like you. And then 10 years from now, whenever you are saying, I don't, you know, I I just don't know uh, what you think. Well, I told you 10 years ago, so you should know. Um, And just Eddie is the complete antithesis of that. And it's going to be a huge blessing uh, for Mitch uh, when he comes here to just completely learn uh, under Eddie. Um, So we miss him today. Uh, So the context of uh, 1 John, just getting into this a little bit, um, it wasn't addressed to any one particular person. Uh, So it's thought that it was meant for uh, distribution to a lot of different churches. Whoever uh, could get their hands on it uh, needed uh, this letter. And so, uh, the only confirmed, the first confirmed place that we know that it was read and used consistently uh, in church was uh, in Rome, uh, in this uh, middle of a cultural war. And so, reading through it, I just think that it's, it speaks beautifully to where UA is at. I think it speaks beautifully to where Austin's at. I'm going to tell you a couple other things first. So, I'm... I'm I work with the youth. I like working with the youth, uh, but I, I, you know, bless you, Laura wherever you are, I cannot work with the children, though, uh, which is bad because I'm an uncle of 17 kids. I think it's 17. I don't know. Might be 18 by now. Just always another one. Um, but the thing about kids is they just get things sticky and things that aren't originally sticky, and it's, I don't get it. Um... So I've always been drawn to, to youth. I, I love, uh, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers are fun. I, I love it. Uh, you can kind of trash talk each other, right, when we play ping pong. That's fun. I love it. Um, you can't do that with a kid, you know, just destroy him on a serve and then be like, you're weak. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I've always loved working with the youth. So whenever I finished my freshman year at Harding, a Bible major, I went off to go work as a counselor at Camp Blue Haven in New Mexico, which is where a lot of the, the kids are this week. Um, and I had, uh, I had gone through, I had, they make you read the Bible the whole, uh, the whole way through freshman year. And I would taken Greek, uh, I had some hermeneutics, uh, I knew some stuff and I was getting ready to, to drop some knowledge on these kids. Um, but here's the thing is that you're around them 22 hours a day, uh, I don't know if you've ever been around a teenager for 22 hours, even one day, but two weeks is rough. Uh, So be praying for the kids this week, uh, next week, and their counselors as well, uh, because they need it. But we would occasionally sneak off, and uh, we'd go to Sonic. It was just like an hour of just rest. And uh, I remember... The first time we went there, I was on this spiritual high. I'd been teaching the Bible to all these kids. Like I said, I'd gone through all these classes at Harding. I knew a lot of stuff, right? Um, And I I see this guy leaning up against the building, uh, Sonic. And I just said, all right, that's it. I have my Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the gospel with this guy. I'm going to do it. I you know, kind of puff myself up, and I walk over there, and I'm ready. I've got this kind of speech, and, I, and I, I pause. And I, I am deeply ashamed to, to admit this, but it was in this moment that I realized that despite all of the Bible Bowl awards, despite all of the prayers in the youth ministry, despite the semesters of Greek and of um, hermeneutics and of and the times that I've gone to Blue Haven myself, that I had never, I had never shared the gospel with anyone I didn't know, and I think that might be more common. Uh, than we want to admit, and it was just—it was, it was horrifying to realize that. Uh, I went back to the camp, and I, I ran into this—I uh, ran into this guy named Jay Don Poindexter. He's this old uh, preacher with a cowboy hat and the staff, you know, those camp preachers. And uh, I said, Jay Don, you got to help me. He goes, what am I doing? What's going on? What's—what's what's my problem? And he laughed. Uh, he said, Ben, the, the problem is that everyone wants a script in their head. And they want to go and they want to say, I'm going to say this, and they're going to respond like this, and then I'm going to say this, and then we'll baptize them, and then I don't have to talk to them again. Um, he said, the problem is that most people are so scared of saying the wrong thing that they don't say anything at all. They're so gripped by fear, or maybe comfort. I don't think they're inseparable. Um... I think we spend so much time on the altar of fear. In fact, I'd argue that the majority of our life decisions are in, somehow, or in some manner dictated by fear. What we wear, the, the career path we take, what new things we try, who we talk to, even simple things. This is a, maybe a dumb example, but... Um, you know, even Taco Bell. I bankrolled them in high school. But I, uh, I had that one thing, and I would order that one thing because I knew what it was, and it's comfortable, and it's good, and why would I try anything else? Um, and so going into this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what do we do? Uh, how, how do we work with this fear that I think dictates so much of what we do? And, and the question I, I thought about was, can we love perfectly? It says perfect love casts out fear. Would any of us say that we love perfectly? Is it possible? It's something that I've been wrestling over, and what I've, uh, what I've come to is if perfect, if perfect love casts out fear, then imperfect love has to do something. Kind of what J-Dom was saying is that most people get so tied up in, in saying the right thing, doing the exact right thing in the exact right way, that they don't do anything at all. They're paralyzed by fear and comfort at the same time. You see, if we want to cast out fear, if we want to truly love brothers and sisters, like uh, this pastor is talking about, we have to do some things. Imagine that. If love is the core of who we are, and so our, our um, we're saying, "Love God, love others," it's the it's the point of this church, right? Love God, love others. If love is the core of who we are, then we have to figure out how to love. And it's hard. Cultures are changing all the time. You have new views. Uh, already, you're worrying about okay, who is Generation Z? Um, what are they doing? I'm just now understanding millennials, and I am one. It's it, it's hard to find out how to love when you have this clash of culture and views. And culture is not a bad word. Sometimes we we avoid it. Um, The greatest ethnographer, um, the greatest studier of culture uh, at this time was Paul. Who knew more about culture than Paul? It's one of the reasons that Romans is so powerful is because he understood where people were coming from. And so he was able to speak truth and be patient with them and direct them at the same time. And another thing is that so culture is just tied to, uh, in our minds, is the world, right? And our songs confuse us. Do we sing, this is my father's world, or do we sing, this world is not my home? Love both of those songs. Which is it? Is this world not your home, or is it the Father's world? Um, there is some beauty in this place we're at. And I, I think that in order to uh, to love people... So Eddie's a great storyteller. I'm, I'm trying. I'm not as good as him. I'm more of a point guy. You know, point by point by point. Uh, here's Here's some things. So... Here, there are going to be three things that I think that we can start doing, and that we are kind of doing already. One is just understanding. If we want to love people, we have to start with understanding. Uh, We're in this present-future process, and it asks us to understand the things that we're afraid of, so that we can begin uh, to grow the courage to be a people who are on a mission. And I see this already. I mean, what are we studying in our classes? Uh, If you're visiting, this is this incredible uh, thing we're going over called uh, Significant Others. And this missionary, uh, Monty Cox, I had the privilege of getting to to study under him. Same uh, with you guys. And he he spent so much of his life uh, in mission, on the mission field. And he put together this book of how do we understand the different religions around us. Not listening so that we can immediately uh, say, well, you're wrong because of this. Uh, Not listening so that we can have a counter-argument, but truly listening to hear. Or hearing to listen, I don't know, whichever one. Understanding, uh, to to listen to what they're saying and, and why they're saying it. Right? Or even, yes, millennials. Maybe I'm talking about, we'd like to talk about ourselves. So, no, it's, how are we understanding them? There are significant differences between generations. It's just reality. So how can we begin to understand each other? And not just saying, hey, you, please understand me. But how can I understand you Right, and it goes uh, both ways. See, at Harding, we had this thing called the the Harding bubble, and what that meant was so it's about a, it's about an eighty two percent Christian school, and you kind of knew what everyone uh, who everyone else was a little bit, and you all believed. Mostly the same things, right? Whenever I went to the Bible building, I knew where to go. I knew my professors. I knew basically what conversations I'd have. I was not that uncomfortable other than in tests. It's just one of those things where I knew, well, what happens whenever you graduate? You know, the bubble pops, so all of a sudden you're in in this world and you're having to confront these ideas and, uh, and I would say that every church has a has a Harding bubble. I think that there's a there's a UA bubble. I think that there uh, is a bubble in every single church that we have to be aware of uh, and is our understanding limited only to what's inside the bubble? Is our comfort in, more important than our love? Uh, so understanding, and then two, e- engaging. And they're, they're very closely tied. You can't understand, you can't truly understand unless you engage, right? You can read about something in a book, but you don't know until you sit down and you talk to that person face to face. I'm not talking about seeing what they're posting on Facebook. I'm not saying look at their Twitter history. I'm saying sit, sitting down and actually talking to people to engage them. And see, there are already exciting things happening in this church, right? There is engagement. Uh, There there is that attempt at understanding right now with the significant others. The thing is that relationship is, is the primary way we legitimize who we are and what we're claiming to be. Relationship is the primary way, uh, even with, with my generation. It, legitimacy isn't always found in the idea of an institution anymore or a building. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. So we have that... Uh, that what is that? This is the church. Here is the steeple. Open it up and hear the people. Right. Close it up and hear them pray. Or uh, open it up; they've all gone away. Wrong. It's such bad theology. You want to? You want to hear it? It's uh, here is the church. It is people. That's it. Done. It's just not as fun to say. I can't get your kid to go along with it. But that's it. This is the church. They are people. You want to legitimize the love God, love others, then we have to engage. Um, Because there are people outside who say, yeah, we see it says love God, love others on your website. We see it says love God, love others on a billboard. We see that. But who are you? Because it's really easy uh, to assume we know who other people are. We, we look at their experiences. We we legitimately read people and uh, judge a book by their cover. That's just what it is. So until we can sit down and engage and actually seek to understand, nothing will change. See, there's a huge exodus right now of... Um, of twenty twenty somethings is how they call them. So millennials, yeah. There's a huge exodus right now. And it's because of fear. There's a, So this is in reference, You Lost Me. This is a book um, by David Kinneman, where he went and he talked... Uh, in the Barna group did a whole bunch of research where they just talked and talked and talked uh, to all these different millennials and they, they gathered the, the data and it's, um, it's shocking. The majority of them feel that uh, they're judged by what they wear, by what they say, by how they talk. And it's the same way. I'm not, I'm not saying any generation is doing anything that the other one isn't, right? Millennials, we do the same thing. We look at other generations and we say, why are you doing this? And we judge people by the way they dress, the talk, all of those things. And that's why engaging is so important. Because right now, you know what, you want to know what the most religiously active group in America is? age group is uh, 15 to 18 and it's not even close. They're the most religiously active. Do you want to know who the least active is? 19 and up. There's a huge drop off. It is massive and it's incredibly important that we recognize this. Let's see. Uh, I'd honestly uh, recommend just even starting with this book, You Lost Me, or Rise of the Nuns. There are a lot. Come talk to me. I'll I'll show you some really good ones. Let me read you some of the the data that they pulled from this. 59% of young people with a Christian background report that they have left church because of how they were treated. That's... uh, That's hard. We love because He first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we must seek to understand, we must seek to engage, and lastly, we need to seek to sacrifice. Because it's, it's easy to say, I, it's not that I, I don't love people, it's just that maybe I like comfort. Love God, love others, but we need to love others more than ourselves. I'm not saying love yourself less, that's not it at all. I'm saying that true love is, is sacrificial. I was, I was rock climbing once with a couple of my best friends out at Lake Whitney. So it was over the water, and it's a long story, but uh, I reached for a rock, and it broke off, and I, I fell in, and I was going to go for um, the rope to pull myself back up, but we'd been climbing five, six hours, and I was tired, and I thought, you know what, I'll just try and swim for the ladder, which is about 200 yards away. Uh, well, I didn't realize I had my rock climbing shoes on which squeeze your feet uh, really small so I was, I was swimming just upper body I tried to lie on my back um, and the wind was knocking waves into my mouth I tried to grab a wall and it was worn smooth by the tide and uh, I started to cramp and I couldn't even let out a scream I just sunk my friend, Maya, Jeremiah Nason, he jumps off the top of the wall, swims to the bottom of the, the lake, finds me, pulls me up, and he swims me. Um, it was about 60 yards or so, dead weight, ties me to a rope. Well, what had happened was uh, my other friend had, had panicked when this happened. His name was Nathan. Well, it still is Nathan. Um... And he went to go get help. So he jumped off the wall and he started swimming towards the ladder. He got about 120 yards. And Jeremiah and I are on this rope. He's tied me in. My muscles are locked. And we see Nathan start struggling. And uh, Maya starts taking his shoes off in the water. And he hands them to me. He's already just drugged me off of a lake, tied me up. He's been climbing as much as the rest of us. And he hands me his shoes, and he starts swimming to Nathan. And I say to him, "My, you can't. You need to come back. Even if you get to him, Nathan was, he's a big guy. And uh, he wasn't going to be able to do anything. What, are you going to swim him 80 yards after you swim the 120 to get to him? And so I told him not to go because I made a decision, just snap decision. I would rather lose one friend than two. And Maya said to me, he looked at me just kind of paddling for a second, and he said, i got to save Nathan, and he took off. And I sat there. It's the hardest I've ever prayed in my life. I was just screaming. And um, Maya gets to them, but they're kind of pushing each other down because he wasn't going to be able to do that. When a man, he's an above-knee amputee with a dog leash, one of those metal cable ones, shows up at the top of the cliff and holds it down, and it's one of those really long ones. We're talking like a 35-foot cliff. Um, reaches them. He doesn't even touch the water, but it's enough for Maya to grab it. And he drags them over, and they're able to get out. And uh, we have to go to the hospital because of all of the the water taken on. Um, But the next morning, we went to church. And the sermon was, Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Maya, Maya looked at where Nathan was and he said that in order to love someone you need to love them more than yourself to have a sacrificial love and he so strongly demonstrated the love that Christ demonstrates for us the willingness to leave safety and security to love those who hated him. We're in a perfect place to sacrifice. A lot of the people around us, they don't, they don't have as much, struggling to figure out this world. See, to love is to sacrificially extend yourself for the sake of another, particularly spiritually even to allow immaturity at times for the sake of growth. And so many people feel like they don't have a place where they can ask questions. So many people feel like um, they can't raise a doubt. There are a lot of good people in this church. And there are a lot of good things happening. If you could see... uh, all of the things that that Larkade is doing, she's as much a pinball as uh, as Eddie is, just bouncing off with that creativity everywhere. And Carrie just pouring himself into this campus ministry, and and Mitch coming here, and Eddie pouring into Mitch, who's going to pour into you, who you're going to pour into the world. There's so much. And, I'm so blessed to be able to, to be here, to be able to work at it with y'all. Because even, even though I've been here for a relatively small amount of time, I've seen the love that is already here. And yeah, y'all are goofy sometimes. A lot of the times. I am too. To understand those around us. To engage those around us. Sacrifice for those around us. Love God. Love others. If y'all would, please be standing.